Hi everyone and welcome to this week's episode of Start Somewhere for Marie Claire with me, the host, Sarah Vaughan. And this week I'm absolutely thrilled to be joined by a very, very amazing lady called Millie Candle. Well, Millie Candle MBE, no less, who is the CEO of the British Beauty Council and co-founder of Brandstand Communications. Hi Millie, how are you doing today? I'm good. I'm well. I'm well. We're yeah. I'm good. It's Friday. You know, happy. Oh, that's great. And 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 we're doing this from your stock room, aren't, aren't we? So you're. you're I am in. Yeah, I'm in the stock room <laughs> with Brandstand Communications, looking um, at what I should take home for the weekend to make my weekend blissful. Um, and, and, and with some very worried account execs standing outside going, oh, my God, what's she up to in there? <laughs> the no, frisk, I know. The frisk you on the way out. <laughs> I, do, I do every now and again come down here and do a trolley, trolley dash. I actually, um, yesterday I took some of the um, liver and kidney tincture from the organic pharmacy. But I'm eyeing up the magnesium stress complex as I'm Ooh, sitting here thinking, hmm, I've nice. got quite a lot of those sitting on the shelf and I might have to take one of those. Well, uh, it's, it's essential, yeah. I would say. Magnesium is is, is awesome. So um, for anyone who does yeah. support or has has um, sleep issues as well, I, I swear I take my magnesium every night. So, so um, yes, I'm a big fan. <laughs> yeah, it is, um, there's also an immune boost kit, so immune boost kit over there. I'm just mm. eyeing everything up. I don't know. <laughs> should just keep looking. It's uh, such a distraction. So, yes. So moving on to our podcast. Yeah. Um, Millie, as you know, we always, you know, start out with this podcast by asking, how did you kind of start somewhere? Where, where did you grow up? Um, you know, what were your kind of early experiences? Were you, were you always kind of like mad about beauty, for instance? Um, yeah. So my, my dad is a hairdresser. He, I grew up in London. So I was born on Gooch Street in central London and wow. North London. And my dad's a hairdresser. And um, so I was always as a young kid in the salon. Um, and then my parents emigrated to Los Angeles in 1979 Gosh, which I thought was like the worst idea ever. Um, and I really very dis- much disliked it there, actually. It was just too big. Um, yeah. And so I sort of my teenage years were were in L.A. And my sort of before that, my sort of primary years were in um, London. And I've always sort of lived in both places. So flip flopped back and forth for periods of time. Um, I I would say since. Trump, I'm probably never going to live there ever again. There's just far too many people that think in a different way to me. So that's probably off the cards. Um, but my daughter, my dad, my brothers, all my family live in L.A. Um, and, I, and I think that I always loved the environment of a hair salon um, and the sort of social aspect of it. But I was always completely obsessed with my skin. And I think that I just had this obsession with washing my face. I, I don't know, just, and I used to wash my face even as like a 10 year old kid, wash my face at night. My dad would come in to kiss me good night and I would go, don't touch my face. You know, didn't want anyone touching my face after I'd washed it. I would never, ever put my own fingers on my face because my fingers had oil on them and I didn't want to get, I just didn't want to be spotty. And I, so I was obsessed with washing my face. Um, and I, And I think it just sort of, that sort of obsession with skincare 
as I got older, kind of led to this passion for color and makeup and the formula of makeup. I'm not a makeup wearer as such, but I love the sort of textures and the smells of product and the formulation and how they blend. And I'm a big fan of makeup artists. So my Instagram feed is just, you know, one makeup artist after another. Um, so I think it was sort of, I don't, I don't really know how it started. It just is, was always sort of part of my DNA. Isn't that amazing? Yeah. Yeah. And so, and so, I mean, you know, obviously kind of with the LA and then the London influences, yeah. I guess you were really kind of mixing the two cultures and, and two, two quite different approaches to kind of looks, if you like, from a skincare and, and, and a beauty regime. Yeah. Very different light. I mean, you know, you have, you go to LA, the lighting's different, the water's different, your hair reacts differently, your skin reacts differently. Um, uh, people looked different. Um, you know, it was all very blonde hair and very tan and very fit. And it just, everything was so different about LA. Um, and so I think I'm definitely a hybrid in a lot of ways of both of the sort of the London sort of social side of things. People are quite isolated in LA. Um, but, but yeah. And, and I think that, um, I think that my, my interest in product is definitely a fusion of both of those places. Yeah. And so where did that take you? I and mean, there you are like, growing up in a hair salon with a passion for kind of beauty and skincare and makeup. So what, what was your kind of next step? So when I was um, I'd worked in a few salons as a teenager and then I decided to uh, quit school and go to a polytechnic, which was, I guess, a sixth form college at the time. And I actually didn't. What I ended up doing was working for Tony and Guy washing yeah. hair and then decided to move to New York and ended up working for Bumble and Bumble washing hair. And then I, I always tell people I resigned. Michael Gordon, who owned Bumble and Bumble always says like he fired me, but I don't. <laughs> um, and then, but, but, but by then my sort of passion for makeup had kind of set in, yes. you know, I mean, those are the days when, you know, the salon was closed and Madonna would come in through the back door and Debbie Mazar, who's now an actress used to, do her hair and it was all so exciting back then but they at, at Bumble it was um it was a townhouse on 56 and Lexington and I was only about maybe 19 and in in the corner of the salon sort of after reception was a sort of area where they they sold makeup and I just it was I was like a magnet to it I couldn't stop um playing with it so I ended up working for after Bumble, I started working for uh, a company called Shuemura who had just launched yeah. um, the brand in Los Angeles. And I took a job as a sort of part-time Sunday girl, um, uh, mainly because the woman that managed it used to work for my dad and my dad forced her to hire me. And, <laughs> um, and then <laughs> because like everything, my dad used to get me these jobs because you yeah. know, he didn't know what else to do with me. So he just, Tony and Guy was, Brenda Mayle was the manager and she was a friend of my dad's business partner. So she got me a job there. Bumble and Bumble. Somebody, somebody was always doing me a favor or my dad a favor. Yes. And um, I mean, even with like Horst Recklebacher with Aveda, when I finally started working for Aveda, he knew my dad as well. <laughs> so I always feel like it was always like on the back of my dad going, could somebody just do something with her? Um, and then, so I started working for sure more. And then my boss who was, who had worked for my dad, who was a friend of my dad, she quit. And we all stormed out in sort of, you know, camaraderie with Marina 
um, feminist camaraderie. You know, she she quit because of something that well, actually, quite frankly, she should have quit over. And um, we all walked out with her. And my dad said, why did you walk out? Why didn't you just go back and take her job? And I did, which is really was quite bold of me at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and but I was only like ni- 19 or 20, maybe 19. Wow. So, um, and I had to manage the shop and they were we were open quite long hours and seven days a week. So I started to hire my friends because I needed people that were, I could trust that would be loyal. I didn't know how to hire people. Like I'd never done anything like that before. Yes. And so I just wanted to make sure that like I, I had someone there that would lock the door, you know, <laughs> like when they leave and not leave it open and turn all the lights off properly. So I ended up hiring loads of people that I knew through friends of friends of friends. Um, and uh, I've been lifelong friends with them really. And a lot of them have gone on to be amazing makeup artists, um, you know, working with some of the biggest celebrities. Um, Extraordinary. Uh, and that must've been crazy. Great, great fun to work with your friends like this as well. Oh, we had the best time. I mean, I think as well, I, I'm sure you remember Shuamura when it was actually physically present in the UK, it was such mm-hmm. a large brand and it was so, um, quite imposing because it was mm-hmm. there were so many products and the stores um very much like the one on Boulevard Saint-Germain they were they were designed by this amazing architect but they were designed in a sort of fishbowl way so there was always this sort of very heavy glass door and a very big large glass window and it all looked like what on earth is that because people didn't brands didn't have their own stores back then yeah, so, they were like concessions, weren't they? they were yeah, all it, was, it was quite unique. So, yeah. um, but we used to play loud music, make sure the door was always open. That way people would come in. They'd come in and go, what is this? And we're like, hey, you know, come, come in, and have fun. Come <laughs> try it on, you know. And also the other thing, if you think back then, um, no one really tried makeup on. Like you would have a consultant. Oh, that- God, yes, I, I, I do remember, yes. It wasn't really, you would be put consultants to either put makeup on you or you would have to sit down and have like a makeover. And we were like, we won't touch you if you don't want us to. You try whatever you want. You ask us questions. We'll be lingering in the back. And people were like, oh my God, this is amazing. So um, launch that. Um, yeah, it's quite interesting that, isn't it? Because I, I mean, I remember being quite intimidated by beauty counters, you know, like like yeah. like when I was, you know, yeah, young. And and, and, and I, I would dread someone to kind of giving me a makeover because invariably I look awful. <laughs> you know, I just mean like, the, oh, also, you know, you can't take them home. You know, you're going to have to put that product on yourself. <laughs> yes. yes, A lot of people would come in and say, I want a red lipstick. And then eventually they choose a brown or, you know, people see color differently as well. Mm-hmm. So what might be orange to you might be red to me or pink to me or something. So oftentimes I think it's better for you to guide people to choose things on their own because at the end of the day, you know, beauty is in the eye of the beholder, really. Right. You know, I don't, I don't necessarily think that <laughs> I can advise you what to wear and how to wear it. Um, yeah. I can help you maybe make us the right selection, but um, essentially the, the decision's yours. So I just always felt like I was there to facilitate and make sure the stock was available and, yeah, and I love that sense of play that you injected into it. I mean, it, it, it's fun, you know. <laughs> and if somebody did want their makeup done, I mean, I would say probably for about 
half of half of our opening hours, there was a you know world class makeup artist sitting around having a chat with us anyway. So there was always somebody there that <laughs> sort of help. Ruby Ruby Hammer was one of those. I used to say she used to come in on the Saturday on the back of her husband's bike, <laughs> walk in with a helmet, and he would like wander off and do something else. And I would just say to her. Oh, and somebody would ask something and I'd go, oh, Ruby's a makeup artist. Ruby, can you help her choose? Her? You know, so I just used to use all my makeup artist friends to help people. Oh, um, I love that. Yeah. That's so cool. Free stuff. And, and so, I mean, like, this is all kind of dawning on you. You're having fun. You're, 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 you're enjoying, enjoying things. So kind of how did you sort of like find your purpose? Do you know what I mean? Like, 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 like what, what happened? You know, what, you know, in terms of, of you, was it a kind of, was it a road to, you know, Damascus moment where you were kind of hit by a thunderbolt or, 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 or was it a bit more gradual? Well, no, I think, I think back in, in the Shawmora day, so I then ended up launching Aveda, but, but that transition between Shawmora and Aveda was, um, was an interesting one because I was basically told what I was good at and wasn't good at by somebody who wanted to hire me to do a job that they wanted me to do. Um, and in, and I wasn't sure what I enjoyed and what I was good at at that point. Cause I was in my early twenties and kind of tend to have delusions of grandeur at that point. Cause you think you're really good at everything. And I still remember actually him saying that what I was good at was the sort of PR marketing side of it, mm-hmm. but not the retail and distribution side, even though I really enjoyed being in the shop. Um, and then when I was offered the position at Aveda. I decided that I didn't want to actually take the position at Aveda. What I would do was be, I would consult Aveda, but I would still retain my relationship with Shawmora. And actually I have to say at that, at that point, I was like 23 years old and I was earning a fortune. And I thought, oh, I can actually run my own business mm-hmm. money than working for somebody. And I still think to this day that is sort of that a lot of entrepreneurs are accidentally entrepreneurial. I don't think you go out and go, yeah, I'm going to run my own business one day. Um, I, I often say I kind of now wish I'd worked for somebody for longer because mm-hmm. the security and the sort of the stress levels are slightly different if you're not having to make payroll, yes. you know, every yes. month. Um, and, um, but I think, um, the penny really only dropped when we set up the British beauty council when actually, I mean, there's two things I think, I I think I'm a facilitator. Mm -hmm. I don't necessarily think, I mean, yeah, I've got elements of great customer service. I can tell a good PR story. I can, I'm, can be creative. I can visualize how I want a website to look or how I want a press release to look. And I can write reasonably well. Anna Marie Solovey, my business partner says my grammar is atrocious. <laughs> but I grew up in that's, LA. That's, so. that's often leveled at me. And I do st- st- often start sentences with and and but just because I think I can. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. So, so there are, so there are some sort of challenges with my writing skills, but I write how I speak. So sometimes I think that sort of people kind of quite understand that of me. But actually, I think overall, what I am as a facilitator, I just I make things happen. And I'm like really OK with that because I think that's a really good job. Well, I, I, I mean, and you're brilliant at it and you really do make things happen. I mean, it's it's quite phenomenal. Yeah. I mean, I think that I, I think that 
probably maybe about five or 10 years into Ruby and Millie, I realized that um, I'm not the person that should be coming in three to five years down the line to expand the business. That's not my, that's not my thing. I'm the starter person. You know, I, I can get things off the ground. There comes a time when an organization or a brand or, you know, whatever it is needs new blood and it needs somebody more professional, um, more corporate uh, and more sort of measured to kind of take the, the, the brand organization and grow it. That's just not me. I'm the sort of wildfire that gets it all started. But, and, and I lose interest, you know, like with anything, I just, you know, I lose interest. Um, yeah. Five years down the line doing the same thing day in, day out. Not for me. Yeah. Yeah. So tell us about the British Beauty Council. Why did you start it? Oh, sometimes I think, I think it's because I'm an idiot. No, um, no <laughs> I don't know. No, um, I, um, I, it's just a decades and decades and decades of um, an industry of seeing an industry that's misrepresented. Um, I think my dad, when we were kids, my, my family moved to LA because I think that my dad felt in a lot of ways, he couldn't earn the kind of money he was able to earn um, and not be considered uh, a lower class of workforce, if that makes sense. So yes, it makes it makes a lot of sense. Yes, it was always considered a sort of lowly, uneducated job, and you know something that you only did if you couldn't do anything else, and it still is. Um, and you know, I think a lot of the reasons why he moved to LA was because if he did a client and they walked out of the salon and he went to go and eat in a restaurant that night and the client was sitting across from, from him somewhere in the restaurant in England, they wouldn't talk to you because you're just their hairdresser. Whereas in LA, the clients would be inviting him over for dinner. So there was just a different, and I, I felt like he felt probably in America, there was sort of more equal opportunity and, you know, the streets are paved with gold and you can be an entrepreneur and you can be a success and you don't have to hide it. Whereas yeah. in the UK, there's such a class divide that you can't go from, you know, growing up in a council estate to being, um, you know, a wealthy entrepreneur because it didn't, it wasn't an easy road for him to get there, if that makes sense. So yeah, it does. Yeah. And I, so I think historically I've always kind of understood that and had an underlying frustration with it, although probably took me many, many years to kind of be able to, you know, make to, to be able to say that's probably how he felt. Um, and, and just the fact that, you know, you go for dinner and I, I tend to like quite intelligent men and you go for dinner and there might be a professor or, you know, somebody fairly intelligent and you're sitting at a dinner table. And the minute you say you work in beauty, it's like, they just turn and talk to somebody else, you know? And and it is quite a uniquely like British trait, isn't it? Because like in France, if you say you're a hairdresser or you work in beauty or whatever, I mean, the French get very interested. They, they, yeah, you know, I it's mean, more of a, like a messier. Saying, you know? Listen, I mean, I get asked, I used to get asked most mornings on the playground, you know, as I drop my young daughter off at school, what mascara should I wear? You know, people are interested to a degree and then they kind of slightly drop off. But you're right. I mean, in other European countries, our industry was considered essential. We were considered yes. essential workers. And so therefore when COVID hit, 
they were back at work really quickly. Um, and because there is an understanding of um, the personal care sector, the services we perform and the benefits to one's mental well-being, yeah. Yeah. because it's an intrinsic link, we really struggle with our policymakers understanding that. So, yeah. so I yeah. think there was a, to me, it just been a lifelong sort of lack of representation. I know there's a lot of trade bodies and I think they all do a fantastic job, but the industry has been fractured for a very, very long time and there's no one pulling it all together and connecting it. And again, I'm a facilitator and because I've worked in a lot of different environments where you work with a lot of people, I felt, well, I didn't even feel I could do it. I kind of was like, Anna Marie Solovey, who was the former beauty director at Vogue and Kate Chaplin, who now owns Legology. She was at the Te- Telegraph before. Great brand. Love, yeah. love her brand. Yeah. Yeah. They kind of pushed me into it, really. It's true. <laughs> <laughs> well, we kind of came up with the idea together at dinner one night. And then, <laughs> and then we were like tinkering around with it. And then Brexit happened. Donald Trump was elected. You know, I was like on my knees, you know, go, what is happening to the world? And I think we just saw, we thought, well, let's get on with it. And then we went from meeting ironically with Matt Hancock when he was a culture minister and he sent one of his senior advisors and they basically told us to go away, organize ourselves and come back. So we immediately had a conversation with Caroline Rush at the British Fashion Council Mm -hmm. to kind of say, if we set this up, could we be like a sister organization? Because what the BFC have done for fashion in 10 years is amazing. Just elevate it to the point where our country is now synonymous with this. You know, if you look at our quality, the level of output from our hairdressers and our makeup artists, just using them as an example, from Vidal Sassoon to John Frieda to people like Sam McKnight, Josh Wood, Hershersons, you know, we are global players. We've, you know, if you go back to Anita Roddick or, you know, Pat McGrath, Charlotte Tilbury, you know, Yardley, I mean, we are just global players, but we yes. don't really have the sort of confidence or presence, I don't think, to sort of because our our industry obviously is being split between sort of brands and services. I feel like there's not been a fusion of that to sort of elevate the industry properly. Yeah, I, 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 and one of the things I'm passionate about the beauty industry is the sense of inclusion in it. You know, yeah. it, it, it's massively inclus- inclusive. And, and what I do love is that there are so many women, you know, yeah. starting up businesses. 88% of our industry is owned and operated by women. That's more than retail, more than hospitality. In fact, I think retail and hospitality tinker just, they sort of just under the 50% mark. So that's huge. I mean, it's extraordinary. Opportunities are great. We really, you know, we really fit into the sort of socioeconomic movement because you can really start at any level, at any, um, having come from any educational background. So entry-level jobs are really very, very critical um, yes. you know, for young people and we have loads of them. It's a, we're abundant in terms of entry level opportunities for young people. It was like a bit of a light bulb moment, really. Amazing. And, and tell us like how badly was, you know, the British beauty industry affected by COVID? Oh God. Yeah. Terribly. I mean, uh, um, well, 95% of our industry is, a small and medium enterprises, SMEs. So you can imagine the stress that these mostly female entrepreneurs have had to endure. Mm. A lot of them have had children that they've had to homeschool whilst figuring out what they're going to do about running their business. So that's just a nightmare. Um, and um, 
majority of our industry also self-employed. So it was very critical for us to work with organizations like the Creative Industries Federation to lobby government to make sure that self-employed um, workforce at the SEISS money, because originally mm. when they were talking about compensating people for the lack of work, self-employed people weren't even on the radar. It's crazy. Remember back to sort of March, April. Um we had probably uh, aside outside of events, I think we were probably closed for longer than anyone else. We can't, particularly the services side, can't transition to e-commerce because you can't sell a haircut on the internet. So that made it very difficult. So when we were shut, we were fully shut. Um, and that then affected the supply chain. So the product companies that rely on selling product to and through those businesses were obviously impacted. Mm -hmm. So you can imagine that affected the guys driving the trucks to, for mm -hmm. Logica or L'Oreal or, you know, so, so really we had, there was so much impact all the way through this sector. Um, I think the biggest, um, I, I, not to mention the fact that most sort of hair and beauty businesses are sort of like the, the hub of community in, in villages and towns and city centers. And so, so important. Yeah. Yeah. There's that's so important because we, we lost the sense of, or the, the ability to touch other people. So imagine if that's what you do every day, imagine how that affects your mental well-being. You're not allowed to touch anyone. And then there are people in the community that couldn't be touched. So, you know, mm -hmm. my 75 year old aunt, great. My, my, who's, who's just the most amazing person, really like a mother to me. She goes every Friday to have her hair done. Yeah. And just, she'd never washed her own hair in her life, you know? Yeah. So, um, she didn't have a hairdryer. She'd never, there's not in, something she's ever experienced before. Mm. She felt awful, awful the whole time. Oh, she gosh. hated it. Um, and I, and I think, I think whilst I, I, we did, we have struggled and we're going to continue to struggle financially because that is, that is a reality. And when furlough stops at the end of September, it's going to be like a cliff edge. We've lost 7,300 salons. Already. already yeah uh people are transitioning to working from home in the same way we're working from home in office you know we've mm. left the office they are cutting hair in their living room um so the industry will change dramatically in terms of how it's made up salons will close more salons will probably close particularly when furlough stops um and so we're waiting to see what happens there but i think it's given the public some food for thought because not having your haircut and the experience you have when you do go to the salon is one that I think every single person I've spoken to has told me they missed. Oh, it's the best, right? That kind of care and attention and oh yeah, yeah amazing. I had a massage yesterday. It was wow. bliss, you know, bliss. Oh. So tell tell me, like, how are you kind of living your purpose now? What what are the plans for the British Beauty Council? Because you've got some really exciting kind of points on your agenda and things that you're up to. Yeah. So we build a roadmap every year. So we have had three years of roadmaps. Um, this there are three pillars: reputation, innovation, and education. Um, so for reputation, obviously, a lot of the policy work that we do is, is critical. We've got our 10 poll event. We've got British Beauty Week, which is September this year. Um, we are holding town hall sessions um, for DNI. So we've got one on Monday um, about sexual orientation, just ensuring that we're 
fully aware of the challenges that people face when shopping our industry, mm-hmm. uh, as well as working in our industry. Um, we've done a lot of work on race inequalities. We've managed to help get the um, national occupation standards adapted so that there is mandatory education for um, Afro hair uh, and a black beauty, which, which is amazing. Right? Um, and um, we continue to do that work. Um, we're also working um, on some, uh, we've got some work we're doing with a mental health foundation campaign on body image. And we've just written and published our first report on mental health and how our industry is um, um, involved in people's mental well-being, mainly around touch therapy, mm-hmm. because it's very hard to provide the proof. We need to do the research to provide proof that a haircut makes you feel better. Mm-hmm. We intend to at some point do that, but we started with touch therapy and that's now in consultation with government. And we have to get to the point where we get the government sort of sign off so that we can start to look at other therapies and other services within the sector and how that affects people's mental well-being. And then education, we are, we've really focused on careers this year. So we launched a podcast um, interviewing people about their careers in beauty, maybe jobs that you wouldn't think or you might not have heard of um, that are a little sort of offbeat um, and it's kind of interesting. And um, we are, uh, actually building our roadmap for next year, but we think we'll look at a, a couple of different topics. Educating the educator is quite important and looking at behind the brand really, because I think that's very important to, to we, we've got a lot of amazing um, startups in the UK, particularly in the organic and natural mm-hmm. area. So that's really important. And then within the innovation pillar, um, obviously, as you'll be aware, because you are part of it, we launched the Sustainable Beauty Coalition, which took us three years, but we got there in the end. Um, and um, we are we have our kickoff inaugural meetings next week, um, which is very exciting. And um, the idea behind that was we, we um, commissioned a report um, into the beauty industry's impact on the environment. And we really wanted the report to be very honest and both from an industry and consumer perspective, but, but but to be really truthful about what the impact of our industry is, both good and bad. And one of the recommendations um, that came out of that report was that we should create coalition to work across sector. It really is about reaching across the aisles and working with some of the large corporations and the smaller companies and you know, individuals that really have a stakeholders in this area. So that that's really exciting. Yeah, it is exciting. And it, and it's so important. I mean, to change a whole industry, you need to have players working together. I mean, it, it's all about cooperation. Yeah, and there's still a lot of people that are sort of slightly reluctant to, to, to you know, to, co- you know, to work together. But I think that we, you know, everything that we do, we have to prove, it's sort of like, um, it's like sort of, um, uh, lead by example, not tell people what to do. I mean, I think we did that with the British Beauty Council three years ago. People were like, what the hell are you doing? There are already enough industry organisations. I think we've proved beyond a shadow of a doubt that we're different, that what we do is different, that our mission is different, and that we're, we're really happy to work with everyone um, and, you know, collaborate because there are obviously a lot of experts that are doing amazing things already. It's about pulling it all into one place and making it available for both the industry and the consumer. Agreed. And we can't, 
we we can't live without the consumer. They're our lifeline. But oftentimes we're so inward facing as an industry that we don't really consider the consumer at all. And so both with the Sustainable Beauty Coalition and the British Beauty Council, a lot of what we've done is very consumer facing mm-hmm. because what's the good of launching a brand or opening a salon if nobody's going to turn them? up, right? <laughs> I mean, I can't really see the point, you know. Right. So, yeah. That seems so obvious to me, but I guess that's because I'm a bit of a shop girl at heart. So. <laughs> Yeah. I love that. Yeah. And and tell us, you know, for those that want to start somewhere, do you know what I mean? Like, like, I mean, you know, maybe we could do like those who professionally in the beauty industry and then, you know, consumers, like everyday people who 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 are interested in beauty, how can they start somewhere? What 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 can they do? I think I think either way, it's a bit about trying a few different things, really, because I, you know, when we started the British Beauty Council, I had um I had I'd done an interview with Alex Friend um, and it was about my career. And when I went through the different jobs I'd had from PR to retail to hair and beauty, makeup, I did makeup for a while. Um, I realized I had so many different jobs in the industry. And I think that's probably what has made, I feel quite well-rounded because mm-hmm. I understand different aspects of the industry. And I would say as a consumer, you know, you're going to have to, Try a lot of shampoos before you find the one that you love. You know, it's like kiss a lot of frogs, isn't it? <laughs> before you find your prince. And I think that what's so great about our industry is a lot of the jobs are very transferable. Yes. And so I feel like it's a really nice um, industry for, in terms of our sort of how we relate to, to the gig economy and our sort of the flexible jobs that we've got and, um almost like the side hustle you know you can mm-hmm. go and work in a bank and then do nails at the weekend mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. the girl that does my nails is a nurse no she works all week as a nurse and then she does nails in her mum and dad's nail you know wow nail shop nail salon at the weekends so I think I think the thing is is that to me to start somewhere is just to try a lot of things and not be afraid to fail because actually sometimes failing at them is quite good. You can move on to the next thing. But if you do work in our industry, it's sort of, you can do hair and you can probably, because you'll understand the face shape, you might be able to do makeup or, you know, this, and, and you can constantly add to your personal development, you know? So, um, I mean, nobody taught me how to do PR, you know, no one taught me how to, create an organization like the British Beauty Council just got to put one foot in front of the other I think that's quite remarkable and and Millie if 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 people want to find out more about you uh, and also the British Beauty Council where do they go British Beauty Council is just britishbeautycouncil.com and I think we have all the sort of relevant social media channels Uh, and then I'm just Millie Kendall and uh Oh, I do have a website, actually. Funny enough, I do have a website, milliekendall.com. Do you know what? That's something I did last year because I had not, not enough to do last year. But I did think I should have a website. I completely forgot about it. My web developer will be mortified that I forgot about it. <laughs> you remember like, nick of time. <laughs> it, was, it was just one of those things that I did because I thought, oh, I had this vision of what I wanted a website to look like. And I thought, oh, maybe I'll do it now while I've, you know, um, and I did because it's it's good for me to put everything in one place because I often think, 
I think as you get into your 50s, you're faced with your mortality. And all of a sudden you want to make it really easy for people to find stuff once you're gone. <laughs> so it's like, it's like the legacy. It's my legacy. <laughs> it, it is a, it's a little bit legacy. And I know that sounds really doom and gloom, but actually we've been through something that's been really terrifying. And so mm-hmm. I have a Dropbox. I've got my links. I've done the whole thing on Facebook that God forbid something should happen to me. And my daughter has access to it. I've done a lot of those things that possibly, I don't know, maybe makes me a little bit morbid, but you know, I think they're quite practical. Yes, yes, I think I, I think they are. Really, <laughs> what a joy it's been to spend like this time with you. Thank you so much. I know how busy you are, so so thank bless you. you, and thank, thank you. you for all you're doing for 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 the British beauty industry. And I and I think it, it it's so exciting because this is such a critical time. And and I think you know the big ask from from you know from us would be you know is is really so many people have stopped going to salons and stopped going to have their beauty treatments and a real invitation to to everyone who's listening is 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 to go back you know and and, and have your hair cut you know have your massage have your nails done you know it it, it does wonders for the way you feel about yourself um, but also you know it really helps other people too and 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 you know this industry is extraordinary it employs so many women it's very inclusive so 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 really if you if you're feeling a little lackluster go and book some care and and and, and really enjoy yourself at, at the same time yeah i felt i can vouch for it it definitely works i try to have at least one treatment every week Fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, just, just amazing. And, 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 and how wonderful it, you know, great for you, great for other people. And it's sort of like, you know, and, and, and this stuff really, really helps everything. You, you feel better and brighter and, 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 and more wonderful about life. So yeah. I was just going to add, if you can have, if you have a chance to look at the bring back beauty um, campaign um, that we worked on with Marie Claire and um, the, the, the stories of the, the women uh, and men that, that, visit and work in salons is just unbelievable such beautiful stories really touching yeah thank Thank you so much for all you're doing take huge care and 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 be well and i'll see you very soon thank you thank you thank you 